Today we continue asking the question, why church? This is our fourth of five uh, Sundays on, on this topic, so we're, we're nearing the end. Why church? Why go to church? Why be a part of the church? What was God thinking when he created church? I mean, certainly the all-knowing, almighty God of the universe could have come up with a better plan than church. Seriously, God, was church your best idea for advancing your purposes in the world? Sometimes I wonder. Now we know how the church got its start. The church got its start when Jesus called 12 very different men composed of, comprised of despised tax collectors, violent revolutionaries, and blue-collar fishermen. And we know the state of the church today. We know the present-day church is this imperfect, flawed group of people comprised of both fanatical radicals and armchair consumers of religion. And we all know, at least I hope we know, what happened in between the start and the present-day church. It's an embarrassing and violent history of the church in between. So it is not uncalled for to ask God with genuine curiosity, Dear God, why church? But I hope you've heard God respond to this question throughout the series. I hope you've gained some understanding from God's word about the question, why church? Because church is, say it after me, church is the family of God, because church is the body of Christ, and because the church is the fellowship of the Spirit. The fellowship. Family of God, body of Christ, fellowship of the Spirit. I hope you hear the connection between the church and the Trinity. Did you hear that? Family of God, God the Father, the body of Christ, the Son, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The church is, these first three images of the church that Scripture gives us, it has the Trinity stamped all over it. And here's why. Here's why Scripture frames things like this. Because God wants us to know that the church is built on the foundation of God. And not just on some solitary, distant God who's got his head in the clouds, but on the Trinity, Yes, the Trinity is the foundation of the church. The church springs from the very being of the Trinity. The church exists because God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And nowhere is this more evident than in our fourth biblical image of the church, which is our topic for today. The church is the community of salvation. Why church? Because church is the community of of salvation. Now, I must admit that I always feel like I'm on the edge of boring someone to sleep as soon as I start talking about the Trinity. <laughs> we become instantly distracted by about anything when a preacher starts talking about the Trinity. Why is this? It's because the three-in-oneness of God is an incomprehensible mystery. It's confusing, and we don't even know the half of it. But we do know this, and we know it because God saw fit to reveal it to us. We know the Trinity is far from boring. 
but rather our triune God is the most exhilarating, wondrous being in all the universe. We know one thing that makes our triune God so marvelous is that relationship is embedded in the very being of God. God is relational at the core. God is a community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's purpose in relation to us is salvation, rescue. So that's why the church is the community of salvation. It's because God is a community of salvation. The church derives its existence from the triune God who exists as a society of love, a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this communal God is intensely invested and completely committed to our salvation. Okay, that's the, the highest level of thinking we'll do today. It's going to get easier from here on out. You know, like you're ascending a mountain and, and now it kind of levels out, all right? So in case I lost you there, the main point, the main point, what I'm trying to say is this. The church is the community of salvation because God is the source of the church. And God exists as a community of salvation. A triune God of grace committed to humanity's wholeness and the world's rescue. So that's the big picture of our topic. That's the satellite view on the idea of the church as the community of salvation. We derive our communityness from our communal God who saves us. So with the rest of the time, let's, let's zoom in close enough to see the textures of this truth. And for that, we turn to the text of Scripture. So first, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll read our text. Triune God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us as a relational God. We long for relationships because of you being made in your image. And we, the church, are called to image your very oneness and your connectedness and your um, harmonious dance of love. And so we pray for the rest of our time this morning that you would, you would enlighten us, you would teach us, from your scriptures, and you would help us to, to appreciate and to see and to live out our calling to be the community of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text for today is Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Friends, hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. Now, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I will build my church 
on this rock. The gates of hell won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. And then Jesus ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Did you know this is the very first instance where the word church appears in the Bible? Right here, from the lips of Jesus in Matthew 16. Jesus tells Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Wait, whose church is it? Is this the pastor's church? Is Heartland Community Church my church? No. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's Jesus' church. Not mine, not yours. The church with a capital C and every local church included belongs to Jesus, not us. I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell may very well overcome your church with your self-serving agendas and self-important ideas, but not my church, Jesus says. I wonder if sometimes we're a little too loosey-goosey with our language about the church. When people hear I'm a pastor, they sometimes ask, oh yeah, where's your church? Where's your church? Maybe you've heard it too. Maybe you've said it. Yeah, I go to Heartland. That's my church. No, it's not. (laughs) If it's your church, then why does Jesus say that it's his church? Listen to Christ's word again. You are Peter, he says. Then he makes clear whose church it is in the very first instance of the word church in the Bible. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, maybe this is just semantics. I've surely said the phrase, my church, plenty of times myself, so I'm guilty too. So maybe it's just semantics. Maybe I'm just quibbling over words. But maybe it's more. Maybe our flippant use of the phrase, my church, reflects an insufficient theology of church. Maybe every time we say, yeah, Harlan is my church, we feel a little bit more in control and in charge of what happens in our church. Maybe every time I, the pastor, say, Harlan is my church, I become a little too attached to my agenda for Jesus' church, and a little less surrendered to the will of God for his church. The scriptures are clear. The only one in all the Bible to claim possession of the church is Jesus, whom Peter rightly calls the Christ, the Messiah. But Peter never says it's his church. He knows his place. It's an honored place, for sure. He's the rock on which Jesus builds Jesus' church. But he knows quite well it's not his church. It's Jesus' church. Jesus is the builder, not Peter. The same goes for the Apostle Paul. Paul never says it's his church. Instead, Paul prefers to call it the church. Just do a a word search of church online, and and you'll see what I'm talking about. Paul says things like, 
greet the church that meets at their house. And he begins his letter to the Corinthians, like he begins many of his letters, to the church of God in Corinth. He even recalls his former life and talks about, quote, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Heartland Community Church, this is not my church. This is not your church. This is Christ's church. Ownership of this church belongs to God alone, and Christ will ensure that the gates of hell will not overcome it. Yes, granted, we do belong to the church. So in this sense, we might say Heartland is my church. That is, the church to which we belong. That's good. That's fine. But my overall point is this. We belong to the church. The church does not belong to us. We belong to the church. The church does not belong to us. And I think we need to hear that as a call to surrender our agendas and desires for the church to which we belong. Having surrendered, we need to hear God's call to receive with open hands Christ's will for his church. Okay, I think I've gone on long enough about that. Maybe even got carried away. So how does all this relate to our image of the church as the community of salvation? In this way, we are the community of salvation because Jesus Christ has claimed this community as his own. It's my church, he says, and he says it with pride. You who belong to the church called Heartland, you are my church, Jesus says. I've got a friend named Rodney Lynch, Rodney Lynch. He preached here a couple years ago, director and uh, pastor of Baptist Student Foundation at Purdue. And every time he sees me, I just had lunch with him this week. Every time he sees me, he says, Brandon, my man. <laughs> Brandon, my man. The phrase expresses affection and connection. Brandon, my man. Now I want you to know that you've got a friend named Jesus. And every time he sees you, and every time he sees the church gathered in his name, he says, my man, my girl. My church, my people. He says it with the pride of a parent, the pride of an elder brother who loves and adores his siblings. People of God, we are a community because the Word of God makes us a community by claiming us as his own. You are my church, Jesus says, and the gates of hell will not overcome you. And we are a community of salvation because the Word of God makes us safe and saved. Because when Jesus claims us as his own, we are safe forever. When the Father adopts us as his, own very, his very own children, we are never far from home. In the beloved arms of the triune God, we are safe and saved forever. And nothing can separate us from his love. So when Jesus says to us, you are my church, it means, it means this. It means we are taken in from the streets 
where it's cold and unkind and given a hot cup of coffee and a plate full of mercy. When Jesus says to us, you are my church, it means we are brought inside where it's warm around the fire of God's love. When Jesus says to us, you are my church, it means we are being remade into the community of salvation. By Jesus' word, the word of God, we become this community of salvation. Jesus' community, claimed by Jesus' blood, rescued by Jesus' blood. Can I get an amen? Seriously, come on. That was, can, I get an a, I, can I get an amen? All right, now we're talking. <laughs> can I get an amen? Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> I love you guys. On the journey toward Jerusalem, before Jesus' crucifixion, he heads into the city, first on foot and then on the donkey. God's ancient people, Israel, wanted to make him king. They wanted to make him king by force. But Jesus would only accept the kingdom given to him by the Father. They wanted to make him king as he walked to Jerusalem through the path of power. But Jesus would only become king by walking the path of sacrifice. Even in our text, Jesus orders his disciples to stay silent about his movement, to not tell people yet that he's the Messiah. He prefers the quiet, humble path toward victory. And as he journeyed towards Jerusalem, they wanted to put him on a throne, but the only throne he'll climb is the throne of the cross. And it's on this cross that Jesus died for one express purpose, to save his people from their sins, to remake for himself a community of his own, a community of salvation, a community that he can claim for himself, my people, my church. And you are included in that community. This is the good news. Jesus journeyed toward Jerusalem to claim for himself a community, and he claims it through the sacrifice of his body on the cross, making it not just any community, but the community of salvation. Now, do you remember what Jesus said as he headed into Jerusalem? While he was still on foot, before he, he got on the donkey, Luke 13 Jesus was headed there, and he cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And yet you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Friends, Jesus still longs to gather the children of the world together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, keeping them safe and saved. But at this point in salvation history, Jesus is not without a community who has already been gathered under his wings. This community is the church, Jesus' church. And here we are, his chicks, <laughs> gathering here every Sunday under the wings of our comforter, 
That is our salvation, and that's what makes us the community of salvation. But not only that, for we are not only a community of the saved, but we are the community through which God's salvation is offered freely to the world. Now this point will lead us into next week when we'll more fully uh, consider what it means to be the servant to the world. But let me just say this now. We are not only the community of the saved, we are the community through which God wants to make the announcement, both in our person, in the way that we live like Jesus, and in our words, our tellings of the story of Jesus. God wants to make known that God's salvation is offered to the world. So we gather, in a real sense, we gather for the sake of the scattered. Like little chicks, we gather under the warmth of our mother's embrace. And that is our salvation. For there we are safe and secure in the embrace of God. But that's not all we do. We also chirp as loud as we can to all the other chicks out there, to all those who are longing for just a touch of kindness in this cruel and unkind world of ours. Under the warmth of our master, we announce the good news that there is still plenty of room inside. We tell the story of Jesus, who longs and still longs to gather the children of the world within his saving embrace. We gather to be saved and we go to share the news that this salvation is available to everyone. And that is how we, the church, Jesus' church, are the community of salvation. That is how Christ will build his church and rest, assur and rest assured the gates of hell won't stand a chance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.